Welcome to The Backpack, a podcast from Christ Community Church in Shelbyville, Kentucky. On The Backpack, we want to prepare you for the journey outside where following Jesus meets real life. Hey, welcome to The Backpack. My name is DJ, I'm one of your hosts, and thanks for joining me back at the canteen. This is one of our regular segments where we feature sermons from the preaching ministry here at Christ Community Church. This past Sunday, I had the chance to lead us in our study of God's Word as we continued on in the Gospel of Luke, our miniseries called Snapshots and Shovels. We looked at the story of Mary and Martha in Luke chapter 10 and examined how often our busyness and all the things going on in our lives can distract us from the one thing that is truly necessary. Let's find out more and open up the text together in this week's message. Thanks, Ron and Ben, for leading us. Uh, my name is DJ. If you're new here, uh, usually I'm up here with the band getting to play, but man, was it awesome this morning to just sit and be led in worship, to have my heart and yours directed to our Savior and his, his goodness to us, his faithfulness to us in the midst of a life where waves toss us left and right. He is always here, uh, and he gives us a secure place to stand. Uh, So this morning, I get the privilege of opening God's Word and leading us in our study of it uh, while Blake is out of town. So I would invite you, if you've got a copy of the Bible with you, to turn with me to Luke chapter 10. Luke 10, we're going to be in verses 38 through 42 this morning as we continue our journey through Luke's gospel. We're calling this section Snapshots and Shovels as we see pictures of the disciples being called out on mission with Jesus. They're grabbing their shovels. They're, they're starting to dig alongside him as he teaches them, disciples them through action. And this morning, we're going to get a little snapshot away from the action, or so it would seem. But we're actually going to see a picture into something that's very important in the state of, I know my heart, and I think for many of you as well. Uh, We've got a couple options for you to follow along with us this morning. So in your bulletin that I hope you got when you were on your way in, uh, we've got some printed sermon notes that will help you follow along uh, with the flow of the sermon. Uh, Or if you are a freewheeler who just likes blank space to fill up, you've got that option as well. Uh, as we walk through Luke 10, 38 through 42. We're going to be talking about a topic this morning that definitely brings to mind oceans and waves coming over our heads, and that is busyness. I want to open up this morning with a quote uh, from Kevin DeYoung, author of the book Crazy Busy. He says this, On most days, my responsibilities, requirements, and ambitions add up to much more than I can handle. It has since I was a teenager, and it only seems to be getting worse. When someone asks me how I'm doing, my response almost always includes the word busy. I can think of several moments in the past couple of months when I've muttered to myself, what am I doing? How did I get myself into this mess? When will I ever get my life under control? How long can I keep this up? Why can't I manage my time? Why why did I say yes to this? How did I get so busy? I've bemoaned my poor planning and poor decision-making. I've complained about my schedule. I've put in slipshod work because there wasn't time for any other kind. I've missed too many quiet times. I've been too impatient with my kids. I've taken my wife for granted, and I've fed important relationships with leftovers. I've been too busy to pursue God with my whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. In other words, I've likely been 
just like you. Now, I, I don't even think I need to go through the motion this morning of having people put their hands up if, if they resonate with that quote. Why? Because I'm pretty sure we're all busy. We all feel that, that stress like welling up in us as we hear those things like, yep, that's me, yep, that's me, yep, that's me. And even if that's not you, you would be tempted to put your hand up anyway. Why? Because we've actually made busyness like a badge of honor in our culture, right? We, we don't want to be busy, but we want everyone to know how busy we are because we want everyone to know just how much we can handle. Look, look how much I can carry. I'm about to lose my ever-loving mind, but I can carry it just fine, right? We have this odd relationship with busyness. But I've got a question for you this morning. When it comes to busyness, and when it comes to that, that destructive cycle of stress and anxiety that, that accompanies all the things that we have to do, my question is this. What if you just stopped? What if life could be different? What if you could not toss all that busyness out the back window, but what if you could find peace right smack in the middle of all that busyness? Well, I'm here to tell you this morning that you can, and the way that you can is by fixing your attention on just one thing. To find that one thing, let's look at Luke 10. I'm going to read to us verses 38 through 42 says this, while they were traveling, he, and he is Jesus, while they were traveling, he entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary, who also sat at the Lord's feet and was listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks. And she came up and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to give me a hand. The Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has made the right choice, and it will not be taken away from her. That's God's word for us this morning. Let's pray. We'll dive in and study it together. Father, quiet our hearts even now. We have come from busy weeks. We've probably had busy mornings. We have much that competes for our attention. And so, God, help us to block out the distractions. Help us to bring our hearts before you this morning, soft, expectant. Speak to us through your word, by your spirit. And what we know not, teach us. What we have not, give us. What we are not, make us. To the praise of of the glorious grace of Jesus. We ask these things. Amen. All right. So we need to, we need to kind of set the context for where we're at this morning. As we pick up our text, Jesus and his disciples are on the road traveling. So if you've been here over the last couple of weeks as we've gone through Luke chapter 10, he sends the disciples out. He sends 72 of them out on their first kind of trial run of mission. And it goes really well. And they come back encouraged because through the Spirit's power with them, they see amazing things happen. They see the work of God in casting out demons and bringing about healing from diseases. And they are encouraged to see what might happen next. And all the while, as they're going out and doing ministry, Jesus is fielding the usual questions from skeptical religious leaders. And that's kind of how the flow of things goes. You could say that Jesus 
has been busy, right? He's had a lot going on. Well, in verse 38, Jesus arrives at a village, right? Verse 38, while they were traveling, in the middle of this busyness, he entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet. So he arrives at a village. Now we know from the Gospel of John, because Mary and Martha pop up again over there, this was the village of Bethany. And he's welcomed into the home of these two sisters, Mary and Martha. Now, we don't know where in their relationship this encounter is, but we do know that Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus are good friends of Jesus, are going to end up as very good and close friends of Jesus. John tells us that Jesus loved the three of them deeply. You could imagine that their home was one of his favorite places to stay as he traveled through the countryside. Remember, Jesus has no home. He has no place to lay his head. So he's going, teaching, doing miracles, doing ministry from town to town, place to place, finding places to stay as he goes. You can imagine this is one of his favorite home bases, to be with Mary and Martha and Lazarus, though Lazarus doesn't pop up in this story this morning. So he comes to their home, and he's going to be staying there for at least the evening, uh, maybe longer, we're not entirely sure. And, and as is the case when you have guests to host in your home, there's, there's plenty to do, right? So let me, let me throw out a hypothetical for you this morning. Imagine that there is a guest here in this room this morning. There's not really, but imagine there's a guest here this morning who's a very big deal. Someone who doesn't pass through Shelbyville every day. Someone like, I don't know, Luke Bryan, maybe, Right? And he's here, and you go up, and you introduce yourself, and you offer to host him and his entourage at your place for dinner this afternoon. And he accepts. This is going to be amazing. But now, if that happens, what are you going to be doing this afternoon? Yeah, panicking? You're going to be doing a lot. Because if, if you're me, you're, okay, we're going to feed how many people? Um, we got to go to the store. We got to get the stuff. We got to go home. We got to cook the food. We got to clean the house. We're probably cleaning rooms in the house that we didn't even know existed. We're probably finding stuff. They're like, oh, yeah, I put that aside 17 months ago and said I'll do something with it next week, and it's still there. What are we going to? You're going to be going around trying to do all the things, asking the neighbors if you can use their driveway for parking, like making sure everything is just so, so you're prepared for the guest who is coming this evening. Well, those sorts of things are happening at Mary and Martha's in our story tonight. Because Jesus is there. Jesus, he's not there by himself, right? He's got the 12 disciples who are traveling with him. I mean, in, in the story a couple weeks ago, he had 72 who we sent out and they've come back. So they might be around. There's the crowds that are following him everywhere he goes. There is a lot to do at Mary and Martha's house. But the two sisters, we'll notice really quick, are approaching things in very different ways. Right? Mary is sitting with the disciples, listening to Jesus' teaching. Sitting down at Jesus' feet, soaking in every word that he has to say. And Martha is doing pretty much everything else. Right? She's running around from one thing to the next. And this sets up our dilemma for our passage this morning, and that is stuff to do. The dilemma is there is a lot of stuff to do. Can I get an amen? Did anybody have some stuff to do this past week? Does anybody have some stuff to do this coming week? 
Like maybe your mind is buzzing this morning with the stuff that you've got to do right now and you can't get it out of your mind because it's just, it's occupying all of your thoughts and your, and your attention. Well, Martha is in that zone and she is responding exactly how we would expect. I, she is responding exactly like I would respond. I'm going to go ahead and throw that out there. Like, this is me. She knows what needs to get done, and she is doing it. Now, it's not as if she doesn't want to be sitting there listening to Jesus, right? This is a woman who, if we go into John's gospel and we read a couple encounters over there, she loves Jesus deeply, right? She has a very keen grasp of who he is, even more keen than some of the 12 disciples, as a matter of fact. In Matthew's gospel, we have Peter's famous confession that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. He's famously the one who says that before Jesus' death and resurrection. Martha makes a very similar confession after her brother is raised from the dead in John chapter 12. So she gets it. She knows who he is. She is devoted to Jesus. She wants to be hearing what he has to say. In fact, I I can picture in my mind, like she's going from one room to another. And as she passes by the room where Jesus is teaching, she'll like linger, take a couple slow steps. Man, I wish I could stay and listen. Oh, something's ready in the kitchen. Oh, we've got to get this. Oh, somebody's asking about that. She wants to focus, but all the practical tasks need done. Mary, meanwhile, has just planted herself by Jesus and is soaking in everything that, she ha- that he has to say, which one is remarkable in and of itself because in that culture as a woman, women did not sit in the inner circle of a rabbi's teaching. That was not something that was done that was seen as culturally appropriate. And yet not so with Jesus. He welcomes her in to sit right alongside the 12 to soak in his teaching, to ask questions you can imagine. It's not as if Mary has disdain for Martha and what she's doing, but she's got a different set of priorities. After all, right, it's not every day Jesus is in your living room. And you can hear his teaching, and you can ask him questions, and you can quiet your heart. So she is locked in. She is zoned in. She is not going to miss this. We have a dilemma. We have stuff to do. We have two ladies. One of the ladies is really concerned about the stuff to do. The other one doesn't seem to be so much. And that is going to bring up problems. We're going to get at the root issue here in verse 40. Because in this dilemma of stuff that needs to be done, we've got a situation that all of us can connect with, right? And I don't know about you, but I already said, I sympathize with Martha a lot. And when she opens her mouth here in a couple of minutes, I'm going to sympathize with her even more because I see myself in her frustrations as she gives voice. She approaches Jesus in verse 40 and vents her frustration to Jesus that Mary has left her to carry all the weight by herself, right? Verse 40, Martha was distracted by her many tasks and she came up and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? So I go tell her to give me a hand. Both, both ladies wanted to be zeroed in on what Jesus was saying, but Martha was distracted by her many tasks. She was drawn away. That word in Greek that we translate as distractive literally means to draw away. So like if someone is standing here and they're paying attention to the back of the room and I start like grabbing them by the shoulder, no, 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 come, come on, this way, this way. That's the visual that we want to get, the spiritual visual. Martha is distracted. 
She is pulled away by her many tasks. And so those tasks start getting to her here in verse 40. She approaches Jesus. She vents her frustration. And we see this spirit of bitterness come out, right? Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Don't you care? Have her give me a hand, please. Martha's busyness draws out her bitterness. Her busyness draws out her bitterness. So the question then is, where does that bitterness come from? It it seems to to come, like, we go zero to 60 here real fast. Jesus is there, she's doing stuff, and before we know it, she's telling Jesus, hey, get my sister in line, please. Her bitterness, I'm going to suggest to you, partially from personal experience, comes from pride. Our Our busyness draws out our bitterness, and that bitterness comes from a root of pride. That is the root issue in our lives that we have to deal with this morning. When we we see our busyness, it tends to shine a light right on pride and bitterness that can stay deep down in our heart. We can cover it up. We can arrange the furniture so you don't see that little scratch in the floor. But busyness tends to shuffle things up, and that pride and the busyness, they bubble to the surface very quickly. Now, you might ask, well, I don't necessarily see the pride here. Where are you getting at? So when we're sunk in the depths of busyness, there are a couple of lies that our pride tempts us to believe. And I think Martha gives voice to both of those lies in the way that she talks to Jesus here. Lie number one is this. Lord, don't you care? Don't you care? That lie starts to get at us deep down when, you know what? We are working our butts off at stuff we would rather not be doing, right? It's not fun. It's menial tasks. And no one seems to care. No one seems to notice. Have you ever been there? Like, you're doing a lot of work. You, you're, 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 you're going and you're doing the stuff and you're doing the stuff that nobody else wants to do and not even a thank you, right? Everybody just goes on with their day. They're having a great time. Don't, don't you care? Everyone's ungrateful, They're not valuing our work like they should, and really by not valuing our work like they should, they're not valuing my worth like they should. We start attaching our worth, our value to what we're doing, and when people don't notice what we're doing, suddenly they don't notice me, and I, I, my pride takes a sting. It gets hurt. That's lie number one. Lord, don't you care? Doesn't anybody see? Doesn't anybody know? Lie number two Don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? I'm serving alone. Because I believe deep down, if I quit doing what I'm doing, everything would fall apart, right? I'm the last one holding the line because because we're alone in our efforts, right? Or at least we're making much more effort than anybody else is around us. And so... I don't want to be cleaning this toilet right now, but if I didn't, nobody else would. And it's all going to fall apart. Lord, don't you care? I'm serving alone. Who is the victim in Martha's explanation of events? It's me. Now, Martha is blunt. She is the kind of lady who says it like it is. We see that here. In John 11, when her brother Lazarus is sick and dies... And Jesus doesn't make it there before his death. Jesus gets there, and she has the boldness to say to Jesus, if you had been here earlier, my brother wouldn't have died. 
So like, this is a lady who is very upfront with, with what's going on. She tells it like it is. And so right here, she calls it out. Like, don't you care? My sister has left me to serve alone. Now, I'm not that way. I tend to be the kind that I'm, I'm not going to make a fuss. I'm not going to point something out. I'm much more likely to internalize those same feelings, stew on those thoughts of pride and bitterness, keep them to myself. At least usually I think I'm keeping them to myself. It doesn't always work out that way. I'm not quite as smooth as I would like to be with that. There have been multiple times where Heather will tell me, she's like, you're, you're loading that dishwasher rather aggressively right now. Like, is something, something going on? No, no problem at all, right? Everything's fine. A lot of times we're not so good at covering our pride like we think we are. Maybe that's just me. But whether you're like Martha and you just go off and say what you think, or whether you're like me and you just kind of stew quietly in your pride and your anger, either way, they're the same thoughts and they are just as deadly. Whether you give voice to it or not, it will eat away at who you are. Why? Because when our service becomes infested with pride and bitterness, it ceases to be the service of our Savior. When I'm serving and it becomes infested with pride and bitterness, I might still be serving, but I ain't serving Jesus. What I, ended up, what I end up doing is I end up serving me. I end up serving myself, my own interests, because I want everybody to see. I want everybody to know. I want everybody to care about what I'm doing, about all the efforts that I'm making. I want everybody to know how important and capable and dedicated and sacrificial I am. Author and pastor Kent Hughes says, we ruin our service when we overestimate our importance. When pride enters the equation and the root of bitterness spills out, we ruin the very things that we think we're doing for other people's good because we actually end up trying to wrestle the limelight and the spotlight and the attention and the focus ourselves. So the dilemma is there is stuff to be done. The root issue is pride and bitterness in our hearts that that comes out very clearly when our calendar and our task list gets full. So what's the answer? Well, Martha thinks the answer is let's show up to Jesus. I'm going to tell her what's going on and he is going to set my sister straight. That's fully what she expects to happen, right? So she comes to him in verse 41, or verse, yeah, verse 41, asking her, him to take up her cause, right? In verse 40, don't you care my sister has left me to serve alone, so tell her to give me a hand. And me, sympathizing with Martha, is waiting for Jesus to say, you know, Mary, your sister is doing a lot, so why don't you go help her out? But Jesus lovingly redirects Martha instead. Verse 41, the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. You're worried and upset about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has made the right choice, and it will not be taken away from her. So I want you to listen and look carefully at what Jesus does here. First, he repeats her name twice. Martha, Martha. This is an emphasis, right? If you start looking through the Bible at times when people's names get repeated, it is usually a a means of emphasis of like, I'm trying to grab your attention. Snap out of it, right? Think about Saul, who would become the Apostle Paul when he's on the Damascus road and he gets struck by a blinding light and he drops to his knees and he hears the voice of Jesus speak to him. And what does Jesus say? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me, right? Hey, 
I'm trying to get your attention here. Jesus is doing the same thing lovingly for Martha. Martha, Martha, you are distracted and upset about a lot of stuff. He acknowledges the reality of her situation. He doesn't say, oh, quit whining. Just get over yourself. Like Mary's got a lot to do. And he acknowledges the reality of that. You are worried and upset about many things. But he tells her that those things are not the most important things in that moment. In fact, he says that one thing is truly necessary. Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but one thing is necessary. And that statement where he says one thing is necessary makes me think about this guy. This is Jack Palance who plays Curly in the 1991 film City Slickers. Now, I had to make peace this week with the fact that I'm going to ask a question. If you're under the age of 40 and have seen this movie, raise your hand. Yeah, I'm old now. This is the realization I had to come to this week. I, <laughs> half the people that I'm talking to haven't seen this movie. But we're going to have fun with it anyway because good old Curly here is a trail boss rustling cattle out in Colorado. And in the movie City Slickers, it is about a guy named Mitch who's played by Billy Crystal. And Billy Crystal's character is a really high-strung insurance salesman in New York City. And he doesn't, he's, he's, he's going through a midlife crisis, right? He doesn't like his job. He's stressed all the time. He's doing meaningless stuff day in and day out. He's dissatisfied at home. All his friends are the same way. They're going through the same thing. They go on these adventure trips to try to like just have a little bit of fun and, and excitement injected into their lives, but then it's just back to the same old thing. Well, for his birthday, his 39th birthday, his buddies get him and them a trip, and they're going to go out and join a cattle drive from New Mexico to Colorado. Two weeks, rustling the herd and taking them out there. And this is going to be where they can go and get away and find themselves. And, and so they go and, I mean, it's a comedy, so it's fish out of water as these three city boys from New York City are out rustling cattle. It's, it's hilarious. It's a great movie. But Curly is the trail boss. He's the one who's supervising this. And he is a rough, tough, gruff, old school cowboy. And at a certain point, Mitch starts to see that under that rough, tough, gruff exterior is like, Curly's a decent guy. Like, he, he's, he's got a kind heart. Um, and he seems to, to know something about his life and the world. And so they're, they're, the two of them are riding alongside each other one day. And, and Mitch says to Curly, he's like, you know, you, you seem to have, you know what you want. You know what you want your life to be about. And that's, that's great. And Curly looks at him. He says, you know what the secret to life is? And Mitch says, nope. He says, it's this. That, that shot right there. The secret to life is this. And Mitch goes, it's your finger? And Curly says, No. It's just one thing. The secret to life is just one thing. You stick to that, and everything else won't mean a thing. He actually says it a little saltier than that, or I would have just used the clip this morning. He's a cowboy. But that's the, the general idea, right? The secret of life is just one thing. And if you stick to the just one thing, then everything else is going to fall into place. And so Mitch asks him, that's great, but what's the one thing? Curly says, that's what you've got to figure out. And so the rest of the movie is Mitch trying to, to realize on this journey, what is, what is the one thing that I need to give my attention to? Well, I'm here to tell you this morning that our lives are full of things 
that compete for our attention. Martha's day was full of things that competed for her attention. Good things, right? The stuff that Martha's doing isn't, isn't bad. It's stuff that had to get done. It's the same stuff that you and me would be doing if Luke Bryan was coming to our house tonight. It's getting ready for guests. It's serving others. It's making a place and a space for other people to come in and be welcomed and put at ease. Our lives are full of good things that compete for our attention. And yet, what is truly necessary for us and for her is just one thing. And it's Jesus. Jesus is the just one thing that we need. And, And I want you to hear this part carefully. It's not doing things for Jesus. It's simply being with Jesus. Simply doing what Mary is doing, right? She's doing the one thing necessary. Mary has made the right choice and it will not be taken away from her. Where is Mary? She is planted right by Jesus, soaking everything in. And Jesus says, that's the one thing. That's the one thing that's necessary. I want to uh, hear this quote from pastor and author uh, Tabidi Anyabule. He says, in all your busyness, don't forget that only one thing is necessary. That one thing is not the next task on your to-do list. That one thing is not serving others. The one necessary thing is enjoying the Lord himself. Now, I'm the only one that thinks that sounds a little shocking, actually. The necessary thing is not serving others? Like, I thought that was part of the whole deal that we're supposed to be doing. I hear that statement, and it it makes me step back for a minute. Isn't serving others a big part of how we love our neighbors? And Jesus told us, like, that's the most, one of the most important commands that there is, is love your neighbor as yourself. Aren't Aren't we supposed to be serving others? We are, yes. But what Martha found, and maybe you found it too, is that serving others without making relationship with Jesus the first priority makes even our serving anything but loving. Right? We want to serve because serving is how we love our neighbors. Was Mary loving her neighbor, or I'm sorry, was Martha loving her neighbors in that moment? She certainly wasn't loving Mary. She certainly wasn't even loving Jesus because she's coming to Jesus not to hear what he has to say, but to have him play mediator in a conflict. Lord, don't you care about what I'm dealing with? How about you set everybody around me straight? when we allow ourselves to get distracted, to get drawn away from the one thing necessary, it infects even the good things that we do. If we try to serve without the Savior, then ultimately our service will end up like Martha's, just pointing people at ourselves, asking for attention for me. And Jesus communicates this very thing to us, right? In John chapter 15, John 15, 4 and 5, Jesus says, Remain in me. Some translations, abide in me, and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me 
and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. Doesn't, doesn't serving matter? Doesn't all those things, those good things on my to-do list, don't they matter? They absolutely matter. Don't the branches and the leaves matter? Absolutely. But if you hack the branch off from the vine and toss it on the ground, now suddenly that branch and all its leaves don't really mean a thing. They're going to wither. They're going to die. They're going to blow away. They're going to burn. Their significance is found in being what they are, but in being what they are connected to the vine. They're not on an island by themselves. They were never created to be a branch without a vine. You were never created to be a servant without a savior. And if you try to do it, you are going to run yourself into the ground. And you're going to tell yourself in your head, you're doing it for Jesus. And bitterness is going to take over and you're going you're to hurt the people around you. Because you're going to get impatient. They're going to get in the way of your fulfillment and satisfaction and happiness. And you're going to make a train wreck of it. You're going to start loading the dishwasher very aggressively. And everybody's going to see it but you. What do we need to break free from the treadmill of busyness and all of the junk that it throws our way? We need just one thing. Mary has made the right choice, not because the tasks don't matter, but because Jesus matters more. And her soul's dependence on Jesus matters more. And that choice will never be taken away from her. So the question then, as people who are in the middle of busy lives, is how do we practically do this? All right, maybe you're sitting there this morning, you're saying, DJ, I am with you, I am busy. I'm doing all the things that Mary is doing. I'm loading the dishwasher aggressively. Everybody can see it but me. How do I stop? Well, if I could tell you how to flip the switch and stop, then I'd be doing much better myself. But I can give you some practical pointers on how we can focus on just one thing, on Jesus Christ, on being with him. How do we do this? I can tell you what we don't do. We don't do this by getting rid of all the tasks and doing nothing at all. And some of you are like, man, I was thinking that was what it was going to be, and that was going to be really exciting. We don't, we don't get to do that. Now, how can I tell you that that's not how we achieve this? Because that's not what Jesus and the disciples do from here. Jesus and the disciples continue to go out and do ministry, serve others, do things. So, like, they don't just sit around in a circle all the time and do nothing. In fact, Mary and Martha don't even go that direction. In John chapter 12, we get a picture of another instance where Jesus is at their house and he's having dinner. And this is after Lazarus has been raised from the dead and we've gotten to see this rejoicing and these three friends are all there and the disciples are gathered around and what is Martha doing at that dinner? What do you think? Guess, anybody? She's serving. She's doing the exact same thing that she was doing here. But when she's doing it with a focus on Jesus, it, it's completely different. So we don't do this. We don't focus on just one thing by getting rid of everything else. Just one thing is about the condition of our hearts more than it's about the content of our calendars. The content of our calendars tends to be what shines the light on where our priority is. But you can get rid of all the stuff on your calendar and still not be focused on 
Jesus. So how do we cultivate a heart that is devoted to the one thing that is necessary? I'm going to give you four practical pointers. Number one is be still. Be still. Psalm 4610 in a verse many of you will know says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. It is pretty much impossible to focus on the one thing necessary when we never pause from the thousand other things that compete for our attention. Where in your routine do you regularly make time? And, and if you're like me, you got to make it. It doesn't happen naturally. Where in your routine do you regularly make time to be still? Where do you create space to get away from the things that distract you, that draw you away? What are some ways you can find to do that? Maybe you wake up 20 minutes early. Sit on your back porch with a cup of, co cup of coffee in your Bible. Maybe you go on a walk in the middle of the afternoon. Get quiet with just your thoughts in the Lord. Maybe on your afternoon drive home from work, you shut the radio off and just have the silence and the chance to talk with Jesus. Make stillness a part of your life. We are not a people, we are not a, cultural that is, a culture that is very comfortable with stillness and silence. And it's to our heart's detriment. If we're going to pursue Jesus, be with Jesus in the way that we need, we're going to have to press pause now and then. We're going to have to be still. We're going to have to make that a priority. Number two, we're going to have to wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Psalm 27, 14 says, I am certain that I will see the Lord's goodness in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart be courageous. Wait for the Lord. That psalmist who writes that, I am certain I will see the Lord's goodness. He's writing that because he's not currently seeing the Lord's goodness in the way that he desperately wants to. He's in the midst of suffering and darkness. But he says, I know who my God is. I am certain that I will see his goodness before I die. So wait. Be strong, be courageous, and wait for him to show up and do what I know he will do, to be who I know he is. You're going to have to wait on the Lord because making this kind of life shift is not a microwave thing. Perhaps tomorrow. Perhaps tomorrow you're going to, all right, I'm going to take step one. I'm going to get up 20 minutes early with me, my coffee, my Bible, and my back porch. I'm going to soak in the stillness. And you do that, and the 20 minutes are over, and then you hear the kids fighting inside and you got to get them to school and you've got an email already from work saying that project is getting moved up a day. And you say, I, I feel the same. I, I, it, that didn't work. I'm done. What should you do if that's how it goes on day one? I'm here to tell you, you should wake up the next day and do it again. You ever been sleep deprived? Like really sleep deprived? And then you're able to get one good night of sleep and you're like, oh, that was fantastic. But by one o'clock the next day, you're already dragging again. Why? Because it takes more than one good night of sleep to reset five nights of terrible sleep. One good night doesn't instantly erase fatigue, doesn't erase stress, 
you're going to find that it kind of works that way spiritually as well. You got to make a habit of quieting yourself before the Lord. Open his word with the attitude of that psalmist, certain that you will see his goodness. Some days it's going to be shining clear as the morning sun. Sometimes it's going to be foggy and messy like the drive back from Campbellsville was for me last night. You can only see about 10 feet in front of you and you're wondering, I hope there's no deer out there. Get up the next day, return to that well. And what you'll find is that time after time, you'll find your experience deepening. You'll find that the effect of stillness and getting alone with Jesus, that has a cumulative effect on your soul. Right? It builds, it snowballs, and it starts to, over time, change your outlook, your attitude, and your habits. Wait on the Lord. Number three is really simple but really hard, and that's pray. Matthew 14, 23 it says, after dismissing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Well into the night, he was there alone. Now, I picked that verse. There's probably eight or nine more that I could have picked that say almost the exact same thing. Because Jesus does that a lot. Read through the Gospels and you're going to see it pop up every couple of chapters that he draws away from the crowds. He goes to a secluded place by himself and he prays. Now, if Jesus, being in very nature God, thought that regularly taking time to talk alone with his Father was that important, then I guarantee you it was going to be helpful to us as well. And yet I think a lot of us struggle with prayer. I'll I'll go ahead and throw out there, as far as the spiritual disciplines goes, it's, it's one of my weakest. And I, I'm guessing that's probably true for a lot of us. I've, I've never gotten in a room of, I've never gotten in a room full of Christians and said, hey, how's your prayer life? And I had somebody go, man, I am 100%. We are killing it right now. Like, usually saying, how's your prayer life is a good way to get a room full of Christians to feel ashamed and embarrassed and like we don't know what we're doing. And I don't think it's an accident that we struggle so much with busyness and we also struggle with prayerlessness. I think those two things feed each other far more than we would like to admit. And so when we cultivate stillness, that is the time we need to be praying, pouring out our hearts to God, bearing everything, and allowing him as we return to that well, waiting on him time after time to start to reshape our hearts, our affections, our desires, our attitudes. In your moments of stillness, cultivate prayer. Talk to God. And if you're like Martha, and you feel like, Lord, don't you care about all of this mess that I'm dealing with right now? Say it. He knows already. You're not going to catch him off guard. He's not going to be like, all right, look, no, we don't talk that way. Read the Psalms, open the Psalms, and look at how many of those start with, God, how long until you show up? How long until you bring deliverance or justice or relief? Whatever it may be, God can handle your complaint, just like Jesus Harried handled Martha's. And ask him to help you. Ask him to help you slow down, depend on him more, let go of pride, bitterness, 
from your serving, from your schedule. Pray whenever you can. Pray on your back porch with that cup of coffee. Pray on that afternoon walk. Pray in the car when you shut the radio off. You can even pray out loud when you do that. And if you're like me and your mind likes to wander and you start praying and 10 minutes later you're thinking about a football game, because let's be honest, when you pray out loud, it's harder to do that. And when you're in your car and somebody drives by and you're talking to yourself, they're just going to think you're on the phone. So you don't look like a crazy person. So pray out loud. Drive home from work and just say, God, here's where I'm at. Will you help me? Pray, pray, pray. Pray once a week with a good friend. Meet for coffee. And just sit down and say, what's going on with you? Here's what's going on with me. Let's ask God to help both of us out. And as we do that, and we return to that well, we'll find the experience deepening. We'll find the effect on our souls snowballing. And then the fourth one, which honestly is actually the first one, is simply come to Jesus. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 is the invitation to everyone who's busy. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. That sounds good. That's an offer I would like to take him up on. And maybe you're here this morning, and you haven't yet found the just one thing. Maybe you're like Mitch in the movie and and you're looking around trying to figure out what is that that I need that's just going to unlock everything for me, that's going to help me to get my life in order. Maybe you've dismissed Jesus a hundred times before because of intellectual questions, skepticism, apathy, hurt that's in your past that you feel like he could have helped you with, but he didn't. Whatever your reason for dismissing him in the past, let me invite you in the present to say, we would love to introduce you to this Jesus. To talk to you about why this man who lived, died, and rose again 2,000 years ago can grant your soul a peace that you will never find anywhere else. I mean, I'm not uh, ignorant to the audacity of the statement that Jesus is making here, right? What kind of man can say, I am the one thing that can give your life life peace and purpose and meaning? That's a massive claim. But as someone who's walked with Jesus over the years, let me tell you, he backs it up. He backed it up on the day he walked out of the grave, and he continues to back it up with the faithfulness that he shows me, even when I'm like Martha, just scattered in 20 directions. And so in a minute, when we all take communion, if you need to just meet Jesus, come to Jesus. I'm going to be down front. Katie and Kenny are going to be in the back, and we would love to just start that conversation with you. How do we cultivate a focus on Jesus as the one thing necessary? Be still. Wait on the Lord. Pray and come to Jesus. When we do that, might not free your calendar, though there might be legitimately some things that you cut off from the calendar. And that's okay. But whatever your calendar ends up looking like, the condition of your heart will make your serving, will make your living look very, very different. So I'm sure there's more that could be said, but I'll go ahead and keep it short because I'm sure we're all very busy.
Let's pray. God, you know us. You know me. You know just how much Martha there is in each of us in this room. How easily service of our Savior becomes service of self. God, we repent of that heart of bitterness and pride. I repent of that heart of bitterness and pride. Help me to walk differently tomorrow and the next day and the next day. Be with us. Give us your spirit. Quiet us. Transform us. God, as we sit with Jesus, as we hear you speak through your word, by your spirit, God, make us different. Give us peace. We are coming to you this morning weary burdened and you promise rest God I pray that you would give rest to weary hearts even now that you would fill us with your spirit so that when we go and serve we might offer life and peace to those we serve rather than wrestling the spotlight for ourselves God, be glorified in and through us as we continue to worship as we go into our weeks this morning. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, DJ again. Thanks for joining us at the canteen and listening to this week's message. Uh, We hope it was helpful to you and that you're encouraged and challenged as we set out this week to walk the walk of faith together, joining Jesus in going outside. Uh, if you're a part of Christ's community, hey, let's let's lean into this. Let's not let this just be an academic exercise, but let's apply what we've heard today. How can you be applying this truth in your life this week? If you're not part of the Christ community family, we're glad that you joined us, glad that you found us, and we hope that, uh, that this message was helpful to you as well. One encouragement we would give you, if you're not part of a local church, uh, please don't use these resources as a substitute for that. It is a pale imitation of the real thing as we live in community with one another. So if you're in the Shelbyville area, we'd love to have you come out and join us. But wherever you are, find a local church, get plugged in an experienced Christian community as it was meant to be, and continue to use these resources to supplement that journey. But please don't replace it. Thanks for joining us this week. Grab your backpack, and I will see you on the trail. Thanks for listening to The Backpack, a production of Christ Community Church. The Backpack is hosted by DJ Williams, Daniel Bright, and Josiah Ward. You can learn more about Christ Community Church at loveshelbyville.com.